When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. Let's do that. We are in episode 43 of our study, Exodus, God's Great Rescue. And we are in the middle of the Ten Commandments, Commandments 1 through 8, uh, according to the Lutheran numbering system, the Luther numbering system. We are going to go into the last two commandments, which are 9 and 10, which are the coveting commandments. Uh, So we'll spend a little bit of time on that this morning. I think the first thing I'll do is just read them so that you understand them, and then we'll talk about them a little bit. So this is Exodus uh, chapter 20, beginning at verse 17, and it goes like this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now this, we've I don't know if we've talked about this, how much we've talked about this, but this is a strange commandment because... Obviously, this isn't killing somebody. It's not murdering somebody. It's not bearing false witness against anybody. Like if I covet, I'm actually looking right now at my neighbor's house. He has a much bigger house than I have. Um, I think his house is a thousand square feet bigger than mine. So he has a big house. He's got a three-car garage. He's got a great fence, beautiful landscaping. It's a beautiful house. Mine is not so beautiful. Um, And I'm looking at his house and... Like, if I want what he has, how does that harm him at all? Like, if I'm not stealing from him, if I'm not taking from him, if I don't say mean things to him or try to destroy him or anything like that, how does it hurt him? And the answer is it doesn't hurt him at all. Because this commandment isn't for my neighbor. This commandment really, truly does go to our own heart. This is a commandment that checks our heart to help us to be content with the things that we have. Because the moment that you are not content with the things that you have. That's where things can go off the rails. God blesses each one of us with things, gifts. Uh, We each have things that God has blessed us with. And God wants us to use the gifts that he's blessed us with to maximize the kingdom, to live in this world, to, to live as his ambassadors in this world, and to live our lives Um, There is absolutely nothing wrong if God has blessed you with a lot, and there's absolutely nothing wrong if God has blessed you with very little. The question isn't how much has God blessed you with. The question is, what are you going to do with the things that God has blessed you with? And as soon as you start comparing yourself to everybody else, that's where it can just go off the rails. Because you will always find somebody In your universe that you traverse, you will always find somebody that has more than you do. They'll have a more beautiful house than you. Or in this case, they'll have a more beautiful wife. Or I don't know if they, I don't think in the Old Testament it was necessarily beauty as much as it was as efficiency. And, you know, there were a whole lot of things that went into, you know, selecting a wife back then. Beauty certainly was part of it, but it wasn't the only thing. Not like it is today, right? Um... So, you, you know, you could want your neighbor's wife. You could want your male, your neighbor's servants or his ox and his donkey, which is basically the things that he owns or anything else that belongs to him or his house. So your, your neighbor might be, might have a better, higher situated house on the hill. It might have more square feet. It might have, it might be closer to the synagogue. 
Um, you know, you might be at the outskirts of town. Your neighbor might be in the middle of town. You might be very jealous that your neighbor has a, a smaller walk to get to the temple or to the synagogue or to the, the market square or something like that. And so you, are, you could, if you are not careful, you could uh, destroy yourself by trying to have the things of your neighbors. Now, it gets really, really, really bad today. Because today we have this horrible thing called credit. Now, you have to remember when you were growing up at this time, the, there was no such thing as a credit card. There, was, there really even wasn't even credit. Um, basically, what happened is you lived in a community. Uh, you, um, when you were going to get married, the community came together. They found a place for you to live maybe an attachment to your parents' home or to, you know, someplace, and then they came together and built you a place to live. Uh, so you basically went into marriage debt-free. Uh, you had a, you, and you never went into marriage. You got betrothed, but then you spent some time making sure that you create a house and a home and have a dowry and all that sort of thing. This is at the time of Jesus, obviously. This isn't necessarily the time of Moses. But um, that's, that's kind of how it worked back then, is you would never actually consummate the marriage until it was ready. Because as soon as you consummate the marriage, now, you know, you have kids and, uh, you know, the thought of making a home just goes out the window. So you got to get all that stuff done before you can get married. Um, interesting that my son-in-law uh, got betrothed to my daughter and then um, he spent the next long time searching around trying to find a home that they both liked because she was still in college. No, she was living here. He was living in Chicago. Um, and so he found, uh, that's right, she was just finishing her nursing degree. And so he found a house that they both liked. And, you know, the plan was as soon as they got married, they're going to both move into that house. Actually, he didn't move into the house. He was living somewhere else. So, you know, it's like we're both going to move into this house together, which is really, really kind of cool. Very biblical way to do that. Um, so that's the, that is a very biblical way because that's the way it ha happened. But if you, if you covet the things of your neighbors, then you're going to over, um, you, you know, back here, it wasn't going into debt. Today, coveting what your neighbor has uh, can force you to go into debt like crazy. You could, they, there are people out there that will loan you money to buy fancy new cars and fancy homes and all the things so that you can show your neighbor that you are, you know, important or that you have, you know, you have all this wherewithal and means and things like that. And we should never, ever compare ourselves to our neighbors. We should um, be content with the gifts that God has given us. Now, I must admit that this has not, that this, um, even though I've known about this commandment pretty much my whole life, I have still fallen prey into wanting what my neighbor has. And uh, it can be a very deadly cycle. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And so you work as hard as you can to, to get on the other side of the fence. And you find out the grass really wasn't greener on the other side of the fence. It was basically a mirage. So, um, and this isn't, just, this isn't just on things. I mean, this is like lifestyle, where you live, what you do, um, the job you have, the profession you have. I mean, everything... To, that you can change, make a change in today, uh, if you constantly compare yourself to what other people have, it is going to destroy you. And God knows that it's going to destroy you. And so God 
tells you that you, as a commandment, that you should not want what your neighbor has because that is bad for you. It doesn't hurt your neighbor, it hurts you. So is there anything specific in here? Your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, um, surely, obviously, if you covet your neighbor's wife, you could actually commit the sin of adultery. That wouldn't be good. His male or female servants, I don't know if they, you could actually, I don't know where that would go, uh, ox or donkey. I guess you could steal his ox or donkey, but more likely you could, uh, you could feel this deep sense of remorse or regret because you don't have an ox and a donkey like your neighbor. Today's ox and donkey is, uh, is our cars that we drive, right? So um, do you drive a clunker or do you drive a fancy car? And if you drive a fancy car, is it because you want a fancy car and God has blessed you with the ability to have a fancy car, which is perfectly fine? Or do you drive a fancy car because your neighbor has a fancy car and you want that fancy car? Uh, and you would do anything to get that fancy car, including going deeply into debt with large payments. I read, oh, where did I see this recently? Oh, um, I guess there's some new military rules going in because a lot of these military guys, they start to get their first paycheck in the military. And the first thing they go do is buy a big, huge, fancy car with a huge price tag. Um, and, it, and they can't survive because they just don't have enough of the rest of the money to, um, to, to maintain their to you know food, clothing, shelter, and all that sort of thing. And because they some of these guys are spending you know 50, 60, 70 percent of their paycheck to get a car, which is crazy. Don't <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I guess I should uh, I told my son when he graduated from college, if you buy a new car, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I didn't say I'll kill him, but I would be very, very upset with him. So he got a very, very used car. Um which has served him well. I mean, you just have to uh, live within your means. You can't live outside of your means. That's that's what God. Nobody really back at at this time would have lived out. They wouldn't have had the ability to live outside their means because there was no such thing as credit. But today, you have the incredible ability to live outside of your means because of credit, and that's not good. And it all stems from this. There are a lot of organizations trying to put together campaigns to make things look so attractive that you cannot live without them. And they, it's called advertising and they do a very, very good job of advertising. And if you can stay true to this commandment and not be uh, swayed by the advertisements of this world, the better off you will be. Jesus lived an extremely austere life extremely austere life. He had nothing. He had the clothes on his back. He had 12 disciples, went all through the region, uh, the Palestine or, or you know, ancient Near East. He went all throughout that whole entire region with nothing, lived the best life that anybody's ever lived. So you don't have to have a lot of things. The unfortunate thing is that today we've, we've made life so complicated that it's pretty hard to live without certain basic things that do cost money. And that's unfortunate. I wish we had a way that if a person said, I want to live an austere life, that they could actually live an austere life, like very, very low um, place to live, maybe not have a car. Maybe that place to live is close enough to a, 
a supermarket or whatever, they could get food at the supermarket. You know, I mean, that you could lead a very, very austere life. It'd be awesome if they had um, places. You know, they used to they used to call them boarding homes um, back before guys got married, and so in their their twenties, maybe even their early thirties or whatever, and. Um, they they're not quite ready yet. They haven't become financially stable yet to to ask somebody to marry them because that was the thing. You had to be financially stable, you know, in the early part of the 20th century, 1910, 1920, or whatever. You had to be financially stable before you could you could ask somebody to marry you. And so sometimes that might take five, six, ten years before a guy became financially stable. Remember, there was no credit cards back then, so. One of the things that was available was these things called boarding homes where a woman, you know, might open up her home and have five or six or seven rooms and the guys lived in the room, maybe one or two guys per room uh, so that they could, you know, work and in, you know, in the city or in the town and start to gain some wealth. Uh, I read the book about Abraham Lincoln and this was Doris Kearns Goodwin book on Abraham Lincoln. And I was so shocked that after he became a lawyer, uh, wherever he went, was it Salem, Illinois? Or I can't remember where he went, um, but he wanted to practice law. He had no money, zero money. I mean, like like today, he might've had like a hundred bucks or something like, like how am I gonna live on a hundred bucks? Well, what he did was he rented a boarding house room and not only that, but he shared a bed with another guy. It wasn't, you know, sexual or anything like that. It was just a room with a with a bed, and there were two people in the bed. So he rented half the bed, and he did that for a period of time until he could earn enough money to where he could didn't have to do that. And then he moved up, and you know, eventually became president of the United States. But um, that those are the kind of stories that we used to do to make sure that nobody went into debt. We don't even talk about that today. Uh, well, I mean, I, there are people out there talking about not going into debt, that's for sure. But, but other than that, um, we just don't have people talking in those kind of terms. Um, so, uh, but it is, it is all back to this commandment, don't covet. Don't covet your neighbor's things. If you start thinking that they're better than you because they have things, then you've lost what it means to be in the kingdom of God. The best thing in your life, the very, very best thing is knowing that you are in the kingdom of God. He loves you. He cares for you. He won't let anything um, separate you from his love in the kingdom. That will never go away. You are his beloved child. And if you can live like that, if you truly can live as a child of the kingdom, then it won't matter about the things in the earth. Because those are secondary. The primary thing is your relationship with the creator of the universe. And if you really truly can get to a point where that is the most important thing in your life, everything else will fall into place. Trust me, it really, really will. Um, so uh, I think I also wanted to just point out, um, yeah, let's do this. Uh, yeah, so um, I, I'll do this real quick. This is a, a listing of the commandments according to various, um, I'm, I'm showing on the, on the screen, this is a slide that shows the commandments by different types of groups. The left column is the Reformed, that would be Baptist, Presbyterian, um, Evangelical, uh, pretty much 
anybody that's uh, you know that that's a church today that's not a Lutheran or Catholic. The middle column is the Lutheran column, and the far right column is the Catholic column. So as you can see, um, do not make any graven image for Lutherans and Catholics. That's lumped into the first commandment, but for Reformed, um, that actually is the second commandment. And if you understand Reformed churches, their highest thing is God's sovereignty. Uh, Lutheran's highest thing is by grace you are saved through faith. That That is the number one unifying principle of Christianity that, that we should concentrate on. But if you are Reformed, it's they believe that. There's no question that they believe that. But the high, a higher thing is that uh, that God is sovereign, that God does what God's going to do. And, we, and part of our life is just simply accepting the will of God. You know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God is a sovereign God that does what he's going to do which kind of leads into things like predestination. And I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that that leads into. Um, but that's probably why um, they, uh, the Reformed Church, would then make that a, a second commandment. They have no other gods before me and uh, don't make any graven image, um, you know, and don't take the norm, name of the Lord your God in vain. Um, that they place a little bit more emphasis on the beginning of the commandments. Uh, for me, the third commandment is to remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Same with Catholic. Uh, if you are reformed, that would be the fourth commandment. Uh, honor your father and mother for Lutherans and Catholic is the fourth commandment. If you're reformed, that's the fifth commandment. Do not murder for me is the fifth commandment. Reformed is the sixth commandment. Um, do not commit adultery for me is the sixth commandment for the reformed, uh, is the seventh the eighth for the Reformed is thou shalt not steal. For me, it's the it's the seventh commandment. Um, and then do not bear false witness against thy neighbor. That would be the ninth commandment and Reformed. For me, it's the eighth commandment. And then all the coveting commandments, uh, the Reformed lump into one commandment. So don't covet your neighbor's house, wife, or anything that's your neighbor's. That's all the 10th commandment. Where for Catholic and Lutheran, those are the ninth and 10th commandment. Although... Um, in Catholic terms, they move that do not covet your neighbor's wife up to its own commandment as the ninth commandment. And then everything else coveting is the 10th commandment. So it's basically, and those are basically the three ways that, that the commandments are categorized in various uh, denominations throughout the world. So they're not all the same. You, uh, so if you're talking to somebody who's Catholic, you're fine all the way up to the Ninth and tenth commandment, but you know that might be a bit different. And if you're reformed, pretty much all the commandments are numbered one higher than a Lutheran. So uh, you know, if you think of the seventh commandment is do not steal, that would be the eighth commandment in the reformed. If you say don't commit adultery, that's the sixth commandment. Um, that would be the seventh commandment for reformed. If you say do not murder, that's the fifth commandment. Um, for Lutherans and Catholics, but for Reformed, that's the sixth commandment. So that's how all that works. And um, I don't know, uh, usually when you're on uh, a talk show, these game shows, um, they'll say, um, name one or two or three of the Ten Commandments, and people struggle with, you know, naming one, two, or three. Not you, though. You'll you'll not struggle with any of them. Um but they never really talk about what the order of those commandments are. Um, they just talk about what the commandments are. And it's good to know what they are. Um, I'm not as concerned about the order. 
there is no there is no uh, numbering in the Old Testament and Exodus that tells us what the order is. So you can really you can really come up with whatever order you think makes sense in your life. You can't. I mean, there's already people have done this, but I guess what I'm saying is that this how you order them is is what a theological term called adiaphora. A-D-I-A-P-H-O-R-A, adiaphora. And adiaphora means that it's neither commanded nor forbidden in Scripture. It's kind of incidental. It's just one of those things that's not commanded or forbidden. So that's adiaphora. So how you number the commandments is, is not going to make or break the commandments. It's only going to help you remember them, maybe. That's, that's how I should say so we're done with the Ten Commandments. Now, remember, we're still at the foot of Mount Sinai, and the people are receiving this from God through Moses. So we're going to find out a little bit more about that as we move forward with the story. Um, I could spend hours and hours and hours more on the Ten Commandments, but then we would never finish the book of Exodus. And there's so much more good stuff that's going to come out of, of this. So we don't want to miss it. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. Uh, gracious God, thank you for your Ten Commandments, all of these commandments, Lord, that help us to see how we should live our lives in you. Uh, Lord, they're a great guardrail to kind of keep us on a path that will help us le lead good lives. So be with us until we meet again. Keep us in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.